my name is Jordan, and I am the Associate Director of Children's Ministry here at Bethany North. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Central Texas, and like most kids, I was so excited when I was finally old enough to join our youth group, which for us didn't start until you were in seventh grade. And something that was so special about our youth group growing up was that it was kind of its own smaller church within our 1,000-person congregation. We had weekly youth group. We had our own separate Sunday school classes, lots of activities and events throughout the year. And every summer promised us both the opportunity for youth camp and a mission trip. And most of these things in our youth group were available for everyone and anyone who wanted to come. The one exception was these mission trips. These mission trips were usually here in the States, and they were often community service-based. So we would do things like planting gardens and painting people's houses. What made these mission trips unique is that we had both an application and interview process we had to go through to join the team. And not everyone who applied made it to go on the mission trip. I went on these mission trips every year from eighth grade to graduating high school. And another thing that was unique about these trips is that we always took the six to eight weeks leading up to the mission trip for training. Every year, I came to dread a particular training week because we would be taught about how to share our testimony. And every year, the training for how to share your testimony was the same. And the problem was, my story just never fit the mold for it. We were taught that the perfect way to share your testimony was threefold. One, who were you before you met Jesus? Two, how you met Jesus? And three, how Jesus radically changed your life. Here's the thing, though. That's not my story. According to my parents, I first professed belief at the age of three years old. I genuinely don't remember a time where I didn't know that Jesus loves me. And so to assume that all of us have this same faith story, that we can use this same template to share, is to just forget how creative our God is and know that the Holy Spirit can act and move in ways that are outside of our control. So even though my youth leaders had the best of intentions with these trainings, what they were communicating to me is that I didn't fully belong because God didn't work in my life in the way they expected him to. And so when we add these expectations to how God works, no matter how big or small those expectations are, what we're really doing is adding expectations to the gospel. We're communicating to those around us that there are additional hoops you have to jump through in order to believe and belong. But the reality is that with the good news comes the freedom to belong, period. There aren't any extra hoops to jump through. There's no hidden stipulations that you don't find out about until it's too late. Nothing but the good news that Jesus is Lord and Savior and the promise of the Spirit at work in our lives. But this temptation that we have to add our own requirements to the gospel, well, it's an age-old problem. And it's one the church has dealt with since its inception. I'm grateful that as a teenager, I was able to recognize 
the false narrative I was being handed and didn't have to worry about whether or not I belonged. But this false narrative that teaches the gospel belonging is conditional, it's a false narrative that is so easy for us to fall into. And we see the early church grapple with it here in Acts chapter 15. So let me set the scene a little bit for you. There were some that were teaching the Gentile believers in Antioch and the surrounding area that the next step in their salvation was to get circumcised. Now, when Paul and Barnabas found out about this, they were so frustrated and deeply opposed to that idea, so much so that they went all the way to Jerusalem to the church leaders there to bring it up because they thought that it was gatekeeping and kept keeping the Gentile believers out of the church. As it was discussed by all of these leaders in Jerusalem, something that we now call the council at Jerusalem, there are some Jewish believers. Verse 5 tells us that they were specifically Pharisees that agreed and said, no, the Gentiles do need to be circumcised. For the Pharisee believers, this was more than just wanting to uphold tradition. They wanted to uphold these traditions because it bound them to their religious community, to all of the laws and prophets. It was their way of showing that they followed God. And there was fear about what it would mean for someone to join the family without being bound by those same expectations. Because of that, this idea of the Gentiles being welcomed in to belonging to God's family without those traditions created this fear that the Gentiles would bring with them immorality and chaos and just muddy what the early church's faith looks like and muddy the gospel. Which, it's a really understandable response, if we're honest, because the early church was still trying to figure out its identity. Was it a sect of Judaism? Was it something separate altogether? As Pastor Scott mentioned in last week's sermon, They were just called Christians for the very first time. And that was an insult. It wasn't in recognition of their new identity. So for thousands of years, Gentiles that wanted to be part of God's family converted and were circumcised. And for the Jewish believers, it made sense that that would still hold true today because for them, that's how God had always worked. And it's easy for us, with the benefit of hindsight, to want to judge these Jewish believers. After all, we have 2,000 more years of the Spirit at work in people from all around the world without this need for circumcision. But if I'm honest with you, I imagine most of us are more like the Jewish believers than we'd care to admit. Especially if you're raised in the church like I was. In most situations, it's really easy to default to being like the Pharisee believers, as someone who has been on the inside for so long that we have grown comfortable and demand that the new people that come in change their faith to look like ours in order to belong. But when we do that, what we end up doing is teaching this false narrative that the gospel's belonging is conditional. And it's not until there's something on that list of conditions that puts us on the outside that we realize how damaging it can be. When we try to create our own rules for what it means to be in, we end up excluding others no matter our intentions. Sometimes this was something as seemingly small as not having the right faith story for sharing your testimony 
like it was for me growing up. But oftentimes, it's not that small. Oftentimes, these rules and shoulds that we come up with create a formula for what a good Christian should look and behave like. And it comes out of this desire to hold tight to our own safety and belonging in the faith. But the flip side of that desire we have for safety and our salvation, it's fear. It's fear that we're wrong. It's fear that we're not good enough. It's fear that if we let enough people in who are different than us, then us, we're going to end up as the ones on the outside. And the tighter we hold on to that fear, the faster we run to reassuring ourselves of our own belonging and salvation, and the more unnecessary rules we add to the gospel. Peter addressed it at the council meeting. In verses 8 through 11, here's what he says. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. As Peter points out here, we have centuries and centuries of Israel's history in the Old Testament that shows Israel never got it right. They were never able to perfectly fulfill the standards of the law and prophets. And so why should we expect Gentile believers to be the ones to finally do it? And moreover, what Peter says is that the spirit at work in the Gentiles is proof enough because where you find the spirit's fruit is where you will find God at work, no matter how different that person is from you. So where does this false narrative about the gospel that teaches us belonging is conditional come from? We may not always recognize it as such at first, but what it is is fear. For the Jewish believers, it was fear that the Gentiles would ruin what faith looked like without circumcision. And it's in fear that we create our own rules for belonging today. It's in fear that one of my friends responded when I let her know I was leaving the church we were both members of at the time. And she told me I was worse than an unbeliever and abandoning the church. It's in fear that we create these divisions between one another based on race, based on class, based on ability, on gender, on nationality, on any other number of things. It's in fear we create divisions between denominations and school districts and neighborhoods. It's in fear we exclude anyone that is asking questions we're not willing to answer. And it's in fear we create division that separates us and our community from anyone that doesn't look, think, or act the way we do. But when we use this fear and shame, it grieves God because we're replacing the gospel's life-giving freedom with fear. And we're drawing dividing lines in the sand that weren't ever meant to be there. And it's not fear, but freedom that is what is so absolutely beautiful about the good news. Because what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. After all, there's a reason that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that the gospel is a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness for Gentiles. And so in Acts 15, we get to see the early church let go of their fear and instead follow the prompting of the Spirit. 
and the evidence of the Spirit at work in the lives of these Gentile believers. And so the council sends this letter that Pastor Scott read for us to these believers in Antioch to let them know the decision the council came to regarding circumcision. And the decision the council at Jerusalem came to was actually ultimately a compromise, but it was a compromise that promised both freedom to the Gentile believers and freedom to the Jewish believers. It was freedom to the Gentiles because they didn't have to do anything else to be saved. They were saved through faith, and that was enough. They got to belong to God's family. And it was freedom for the Jewish believers because they were able to let go of the fear that the Gentiles would ruin the church and the message of the gospel. Because what they were afraid of was that the Gentiles would make the early church look like all of the pagans around them. And you know, they were supposed to be set apart. And so the few rules that we do find in the letter actually all directly relate to common pagan practices of the day because it's this way for the Gentile believers to set themselves apart from their culture as part of God's family. And it was this freedom for the Jewish believers to be reassured in knowing that they weren't ruining the gospel by allowing the Gentiles to be invited in. After all, the mark of the good news is the Spirit upon us. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what the gospel does. The gospel frees us from ourselves. And the gospel frees us to invite everyone else in. And as beautiful and exciting as the freedom that the gospel brings us is, if I'm honest, it's also terrifying. Because when out of fear you have white-knuckled your faith for so long, letting go is absolutely terrifying. It's something my spiritual director and I have talked about at length over the summer. Because we live in a culture that is so based in shame and fear, on creating divisions between us and them, on excluding anyone that doesn't look or act the way you do, that this free fall into the Spirit's freedom truly into faith, goes against everything our world tells us to do and believe. So when we believe Jesus is Lord and live into the freedom of the Spirit, that in no way means that our journey will be easy or safe. It's like Pastor Anna talked about earlier with the Beatitude, that blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We don't get to pick who God asks us to love. We're called to love everyone, regardless of how they persecute or mistreat us. And we don't get to pick the way the Spirit decides to work in and through other people. We don't get to pick who God decides belongs. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from the Chronicles of Narnia. The children have just gotten to the beaver's home, and they have learned for the first time about Aslan the lion. And Lucy asks the question, is he safe? which is a pretty good question to ask about a lion. Mr. Beaver responds with this. He says, who said anything about safe? Of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, the good news was never about our safety. It was never meant to divide God's people, whether those divisions were along the lines of circumcision, like it is for the early church in Acts 15, 
or the way those divisions have for far too long been drawn along the lines of race in our nation and in the American church. We see again and again in Acts that when we follow where the Spirit leads us, we're walking into the unknown of new territory, of new ways of belonging and believing. Because the good news does bring us, what the good news does bring us is this freedom to belong and the freedom to invite everyone else to belong too. So as we get ready to close with a final song, I want to invite you into that freedom that the Spirit brings us. Know that the Spirit is not a spirit of division and fear, but is a spirit of unity and belonging. And friends, you're invited in. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the ways that you love us, the ways that you free us from ourselves, from our own fears, from the ways that we pursue perfectionism to try to cling to being good enough to be in your family, that there aren't these added requirements that, Jesus, you're enough, that the good news is enough, that we belong, period. And I pray that we are able to live into that freedom that you bring us, Holy Spirit, and that we are to offer that same freedom and belonging to everyone around us. So Spirit, I just I pray your presence over the people of Bethany North, that this is a space of feeling your freedom and knowing that we belong. Thank you for loving us first and loving us best. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen.